As we prepare to hear God's word, let's pray first for illumination, asking God to open our hearts and our minds, all that we are, so that we might hear God speaking to us today. God, thank you for this space and inviting us in. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be in and among us today, cultivating us a sense of of safety, that when we're here, we're in your presence, and that that is good and beautiful and allows us to be who you've created us to be. So give your Holy Spirit in abundance so that we might experience peace, and in that stillness, in that quiet, be able to hear you speaking the good news about your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. from the book of Genesis. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, See, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all their multitude. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done, And he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, because on it God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. This is the word of the Lord. through 10, and then 15 through 25. Hear this word, O Lord. In that day, the Lord made the heavens and the earth. When no plant of the field was yet in the earth, and no herb of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord had not caused it to rain upon the earth, And there was no one to till the ground. But a stream would rise from the earth and water the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. 
And there he formed and put the man whom he informed. Out of the ground the Lord made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. And the tree of life also in the midst of the garden. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flows out of even to water the garden. And from there it divides and becomes four branches. The Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to till and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, You may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it, you shall die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper as his partner. So out of the ground the Lord formed every animal of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to the man to see what she would call them. And whatever the man would call every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all cattle and the birds of the air and every animal of the field. But for the man, there was not found a helper as his partner. So, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up that place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman, for out of man this one was taken. Therefore a man leaves his father and mother and clings to his wife, and they become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. This is the word of the Lord. So just now we heard two passages about stories of creation, of God creating the world, and how God created us and gave responsibility to us. Uh, Before diving in, I wanted to just say a word about Genesis 1 and the passage that Tom Wilder read, and specifically the fact that in it is an important detail, that we are created in God's own image. Something about us is like God, and um, in that first passage, it it says also, God created us to have dominion, and created us and blessed us, saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over everything. And I want to just bring this up and touch on this, because I think sometimes we as humans, and, and even in the church, we operate under this faulty assumption that the earth is our possession and it can be something that we exploit and rule over for our own gratification and use for um, gratifying the the means of our own ends. Um, And yet, and yet, Scripture, and specifically this passage here, I don't think speaks to that. And specifically when we hear dominion and power, what we have to first think about is the way in which God reveals Um, the character of power 
and exercise of power in the world. And when we think about that, we have to specifically look toward Jesus, who is the clearest representation of God that we see. And so what I want to read for you is just this one passage from Mark, where two of the disciples, James and John, come up to Jesus, and they're, they're knowing that this thing that Jesus is doing is really taking off. And people are getting excited, and it's, it's a great thing, and so they go up to Jesus and like, Jesus, when you step into your kingdom, when you come into glory, when you get that power, we want to sit on your right hand and your left, okay? So they're trying to seize this, this status of authority so they can uh, make their name great. And so Jesus asked them, so you think you can drink the cup that I am to drink? You can, you can have a part of what I'm a part of. Well, Jesus says, you will. You will. Now, the conversation continues when the disciples, the other ten, hear about this, and they become a little bit mad because they want some part of rightful power and prestige and everything. And when Jesus overhears all of them quabbling about this, he tells them this. My disciples, he says, you know that among you, the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers and having dominion, lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants, tyrants over you. But it should not be so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be the slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. Christ, God, the greatest Lord and ruler, one who has the greatest dominion over all things, says that we are to pick up posture of servants um, and servanthood. And that is the posture that we are to take up when it says that we are, to, uh, we are created in the image of God and supposed to exercise domain and rule over this world. It is an exercise of loving care for all things, to receive this world and all that's around us as a gift and to help nurture and care for it so that it begins to flourish. And that is our vocation, our vocational call as image bearers of God and what God invites us into in this great work of imaging God in that way. As we continue uh, to reflect on what we're created to do as humans, I wanted to tell you a story um, to go a little deeper into this. Um, it's a story that goes back to December 7th on this past year, a day on which I traveled with uh, Mark and Mo Watson down backcountry roads to a town south of Utica. And Mark and Mo were, were going to pick up this um, cute little uh, Australian cattle dog puppy, and I was just along for the ride, or <laughs> so I thought. Um, because I, in fact, came home with something in my arms that day, a 10 pounds of tan fur and fluff uh, I would later call Amos. And as we made our way home that day from that place, picking up uh, these puppies, so many thoughts and feelings rushed through me. And I, and I know it's a dog, don't get me wrong, but uh, 
I have to think in some part it was kind of what uh, perhaps you parents and grandparents felt when you see this like newborn baby. So I think there's like some common experience, whether it's bipeds or quadrupeds, as you're bringing them home uh, on that first day. During the first hour of the car ride, what happened was I was so excited. Amos was frantically searching all my pockets for the rest of the treats, and I was imagining how many runs and how many um, times we would play fetch. I was imagining him being this great companion and eventually training him to be a therapy dog where he would be able to bring uh, joy and peace uh, to people who I met with, and it would go hand-in-hand hand with my job. I was enthralled with this beautiful, beautiful new life and so many dreams about what would life be like with him. And then the second hour hit me. <laughs> and I looked down at Amos, who was fast asleep on my lap, and I went, oh boy, I just adopted a dog. Why did I get in the car with Mark and Mo? Uh, I'm responsible for this beautiful young life for the next 10 years, and do I even know how to raise a dog and train it, and let alone train it to be something uh, like a therapy dog? What did I do? Now, overall, Damus has been a real treat and a joy. And I'm caught up by moments of joy and frustrations, as you and parents probably are. Um, but overall, a deep sense of love and a commitment to continue to help him come into being and help him to flourish, as I think I'm created to be, as I just said earlier. Yet, uh, and I hope you get a chance to come in um, someday um, and meet him. But one of the things that's kind of creeped up um, as of late, is a tendency of fearfulness towards strangers and a reaction, therefore, to bark at them, um, which is, is deeply, deeply distressing to me. And it's rather unfortunate. Um, I've been exhausted and beside myself wondering about this specific tendency of fear and this reaction of barking. I've been beside myself and tired and exhausted trying to think how this happened, but more so, how to correct it as well. Now, when he becomes scared and barks, what really gets me are two things. He, first, he, he just stops listening to me. Because apparently the presence of the person who he perceives as a threat is more important to acknowledge and focus on than me in that moment, which just kills me inside. And uh, I know this is dog, but I imagine in some way for parents this might be a reality for you too. Like when the kids aren't listening, that there's something deep inside that just laments and is deeply sad. Because if he were to focus on just me, perhaps I would be able to let him know it's going to be okay and help him navigate that situation. But secondly, I look very John the Baptist up there, by the way. <laughs> now I'm going for more of a, you know, of <laughs> Jesus' look, and Jesus' rock superstar. Uh, I'll never get there, though, and that's a good thing. Um, but the second thing, he has this uh, tendency to react toward fear, barking, and it's this growing sense of me that, that if this continues, he won't grow into what I think he can be as a therapy dog, and what I wish for him to be, and what I dream and hope for him to be, a vocation that I know he can step into. And I invite you into this, and I'm glad that we have the picture up here, like a little cutie in, the, in my arms. Um, 
Because my experience of joy and frustration perhaps can get at something in this passage which I've been thinking about this past week. Um, in this passage of Genesis 1 and 2, I've been captured by the beauty and the wonder of these pictures of God. Wondering what these pi- pictures teach us about God and God's vision for our life and the hopes and longings. Maybe some of the, the sadness that God experiences. And as I've glanced at these passages, it says, Genesis 1 says, let's create man and woman in our likeness. And Genesis 2 says, this detailed picture of a creator who takes time to work that dirt and create humans and give the very breath that's in God's own lungs into ours. God is like a delighted father or a joyful mother who looks at us in such tenderness because we are the work of God's own hands and our own breath. And I want you to hear a message this morning that God says to you, my beloved, I have made you so wonderfully and beautifully and uniquely well. I imagine God looking over you, beaming with delight and imagining the days that stretch out for you, the plans that God has for you. God thinking of all the potential for for you because of all the gifts, worrying about the tests and trials and thinking, you know, could step in, but... I can't, and I won't, but I promise to always be there. And God is committed to be there with us each step of the way. Yes, Genesis 1 and 2 gives a beautiful portrait of God, and yet it gives a beautiful portrait of what we're created for, rich harmony and connection and a relationship not only with God but each other and everything. And I think I see this in chapter 2, in that very last sentence, where it says, they, man and woman, were there, and they were naked, and they were not afraid. They were not afraid of each other. And I, I think this might make us chuckle in some way, this little sentence here, but I find it important because it suggests the deep vulnerability that we're created for. We're created to be as we are and as we came to be in this world. We were created to be ourselves. We were created to be loved and cherished and also to love and cherish others as they are as well, as they were created to be. Naked and without shame, as the Bible puts it. And just think about that for a second. They were naked and not ashamed. And perhaps we chuckle at this line, but in another way, this, this line represents the deep beauty of, of vulnerability and the uh, invitation to be ourselves that God invites us to be. But there's in this a deep tragedy as well and a foreshadowing. And the tragedy of the thing that I've experienced with Amos, who somewhere at some point and somehow learned to trust the voice of fear inside him that tells him he must put up a guard and bark at others and he can no longer be as he is. He has to live in some defensiveness in the world around him. There's a great tragedy in the creation story of two which belies a dark narrative plot line that we humans cannot escape, that we somewhere at some point somehow learn to trust something other than God's voice for information about who we are and who we are to be. 
When we get to trust something else, we live under an oppressive reign of a different voice that tells us a different narrative. In the following chapter of Genesis, Genesis 3, we learn about this story of humans trusting something other than God's own voice and stepping outside this vision for what God intended. They invite in and trust this voice to deceit. And in following this, their eyes are opened and they see the nakedness and they make clothes for themselves. And it's this first moment where they put up barriers between one another. And an instance of distance then between one another. And I think this teaches us what happens when we listen to a voice that is not God's and a different voice that will lead us down paths that we are not intended to go. When we listen to the deceitful narrative, we believe lies about ourselves and others. And we move into a way of protecting ourselves. We buy the narrative of fear and deceit sometimes, perhaps, that we're not good enough that we are created with so many flaws in so many ways. And so out of fear, we project walls of a perfect image and always try to maintain that. Or perhaps we tear others down to make ourselves fear, feel better. We buy the narrative of fear and deceit that we are nothing and live some meaningless existence. And so out of fear, we work ourselves to exhaustion we put on a whole identity and our whole identity into work or parenting or hobbies, thinking that that's going to solve it. Or perhaps we entirely give up, feeling like there is no way we could rival our own apathy. We listen to so many narratives of, of, of deceit that perpetuate fear within us and thus creates these ways in which we put up barriers between ourselves. And yet, there's also the following instance where uh, in the passage of Genesis 3, God comes walking through this garden, calling to the humans, where are you? And what do the men and women do? They hide. They hide for fear of God. When we buy the narrative of fear and deceit and believe that we're never good enough for God, we can then fear and put up walls in our hearts feeling and justifying that we actually don't need God. When we buy the narrative of fear and deceit that we can understand everything, we, and, and we end up not understanding everything, we end up writing off God as not benevolent for sharing all things with us. There are so many counterfeit narratives that are out there that lead us to trust in something that aren't God's words for us. And the, the, the bigger kind of thing is that just like when Amos begins to trust in these things and he's led away from this vision of what I think he can be as a fairy dog, when we begin to buy into narratives and put up walls and put up masks and live into these narratives of fear and deceit, they lead us away from who we are and what we're supposed to be as these image bearers and reflectors of, of Christ in the world. In chapter 3 of Genesis, the man and woman are sent away from the garden, the place where they are supposed to live in this harmony and union with God and keep care for one another in the world. They're sent out, never to come back in, and this barrier prevents them from entering into their vocation and true purposeful life. 
And on their way out, God sows for them fig leaves to cover them as they enter this world, a mark of a barrier between them and God. And yet, if nothing else, if nothing else, the narrative of Scripture is a story of longing for the moment when God reenters the story, clothing himself with the fig leaf of flesh, becoming human in Christ, in Jesus. And in Jesus, God becomes what we are, veiled behind the barrier of human form in order that he might remove the barriers from between ourselves and between God and us. And in Christ, God forever breaks the barrier between us and God buries these barriers of sin and evil and death in his own grave and proclaims a new narrative, an anthem of good news that can never be drowned out. God's welcome and invitation back to yourself. It occurs through the very difficult yet freeing, vulnerable act of admitting your fault and our fault, wrongdoing, the barriers, the masks, all the things that we put up, and even those fears. It occurs through the act of stripping ourselves of the things we've learned to put up between ourselves and God. And so the confidence of Christ dying and rising allows us to lay our hearts naked and unafraid before God and each other. God clothes himself in the fig leaf of flesh and is stripped of every human dignity so that we are able to rid ourselves of the fig leaves of false selves and motives. And so Jesus calls us to a different way, to hear his voice and to participate then in a more substantive vocation as God's people. And that's what we're doing here. We're learning to hear God's voice again and learning about that vocation and how to take that up again. But it's tough work. Yesterday I was at a flea market uh, with, with a lot of vendors and I had Amos with me. And it was a nightmare of the day to start out. <laughs> His head and eyes are just darting every single which way. He was freaked out. And yet I was persistent in telling him to sit and remain by me and rewarding him when he would focus on me. And by the end of the day, he was listening to my voice and following me and doing as I desired him to be. He was much more calm and people were able to come up to him and pet him and he had no reservations about that. And it, it created in me, it kicked the embers on this dying hope of him becoming a therapy dog and saying, this can happen. Perhaps our lives are like that flea market with so many distractions and voices going on and perhaps our invitation is to be still for a moment and listen to the voice of God calling and speaking and saying what we truly are. Speaking and saying a different narrative to us. And perhaps over time we can begin to trust and believe that there can be something different. Perhaps over time that we can begin to trust, and maybe that's today, we can trust and hope that God can work immeasurably more in our lives than we could ever hope or imagine. And God can help us bring down those walls so that we can step into a posture of life that images what we were always created to be. I want you to know that the gospel, if nothing else, is the story of a God who says, I will not give up. I will not give up on you. I will not give up on my people. I will not give up on this world I've created. And it's a trust in God. 
that God is there amidst all the other voices and chaos of our lives. And that we can trust God and his voice to help us navigate the world around us. And so searching and yearning to hear that voice is something I pray that we do and learn to do as a community and family of faith. And as we seek to yearn, that we also seek also to take up the posture of living into the form of Christ and what Christ taught us to do, which is being servants of one another and servants of all. Let's pray. God, we love you, for you have first loved us. And we are grateful for all you've given us, and we receive it as a gift. And pray that our spirits and hearts and minds be open so that we might cherish all these good things that you've given. Um, guide us by your Holy Spirit, not only this day, but each day. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.